Blaze Radio presents He He Check. This is Heat Check, and for the first time in a long time, we aren't basing opinions off words on paper. We're talking about actual games. Just got through with an incredibly jam-packed opening weekend of the college football season. Thank God it's back. It delivered, I think, in a lot of places. Maybe some places it didn't. We'll talk about all of it. But Gabe, before we start, what was the emotional high point of your weekend? I would say the emotional high point of my and weekend. And Mackenzie Milton is too easy an answer that you're not allowed. Um, yeah, I would say watching. Hmm. I mean, I would say being at a game again. Yeah. Thursday night was was the emotional high point of my weekend, even though the game wasn't necessarily the greatest, and it was one of the worst FCS teams against a top twenty five ASU squad. Um, I would say that was my personal high point. And then if you're, if you're talking about watching games. Um, UCLA LSU was my personal high point. It was the game that I had the most aesthetically pleasing yeah. um, viewing experience, and it was the game that I had um, the most enjoyable outcome happen in for my viewing experience. Which was LSU losing. Which was LSU losing. It was uh, UC- LSU looking respectable enough that you could see a path toward them being competitive this year. Oh, and that I didn't. May- uh, I think I think that, no. I think their offense is going to be more than fine. Yeah, but it's, but the defense, of course, is going to have have issues. But at the same time, I think that they can. I don't think that they're going to be the second best team in the SEC West. I don't think they'll probably be the third best team in the SEC West because um, I'm high on Ole Miss. But at the same time, I think that they can stay fringe top twenty five and be a team that UCLA can notch as a quality win. And that's what matters. We'll see. We'll touch on all the important games here. And for me, the the emotional high point, I think, probably has to be the same thing as you. Well, considering how high on UCLA you were. No, I I was talking about just being back in a stadium and feeling that, being in a press box and remembering, hey, the rest of your life is outside that glass. And feeling what it was like to hear the roar of a crowd, to feel like that that rumble of a big play, that was a special thing. That's something I'm not soon going to forget as somebody who had to spend two years out of a a college football stadium for the first time since they were five years old. um, that, That will stick with me. So I think that was the emotional high point for me. On the screen... I mean, I don't think I got more juiced at any point than whenever Snoop Connor ran over a Louisville defender today and then <laughs> just put the L's down. I'm like, college football is so back. So back. I I would say, to not to be like a Debbie Downer, but that game... Did it cash? Did the over end up no, cashing? No, it did not. It Came did close. Not. Uh, missed it by eight points. That's tough for you, Gabe. The zero in the first half from Louisville was not what we needed. Scott Satterfield filled you. Certainly he did. Um, the, just no tempo. You said it's hard to make tempo when you're not executing well on offense. That's fine. But, like, I don't know what – I don't know why they couldn't have done what they did in the second half and the first half. To – I would say, though, the t- tonight, if that crowd shows up to a Pac-12 game, that crowd shows up to a, a game at, like, 
SoFi Stadium, people are crapping on it. So that's double standard. But it was still what pretty I wanted. Crowd. Still, yeah, it was a pretty weak crowd for Atlanta. It was a pretty weak crowd for an Ole Miss. But I guess they would probably push back and be like, well, Monday night, Louisville. Louisville's not a huge draw. That's fair. Um, I you, saw you what have, I wanted to see from Ole Miss, though. Yeah. And I saw what I wanted to see from Matt Corral and Jerrion Ely. That was awesome. Yeah. And Monterio Drummond looks like the next guy there. I mean, we've gone through Laquan Treadwell. Uh, if you want to go back further, Mike Wallace, Dexter McCluster, even though he was kind of a running back too. <laughs> you know, obviously there's the DK Metcalf, AJ Brown teams, and now most recently Elijah Moore. That's a team with great tradition at the receiver position, and it looks like Drummond and Saunders are going to be the next two. If we want to start with Ole Miss and Louisville and talk about what we just saw. Yeah, Dontario Drummond was nine for one. I say Montario. You said you just said. I think I said Montario. That's, Montero? My, that's my slip up for the day. All right, there. You, well, a little more. Not necessarily the the basic name that you normally yes. trip with. We're just getting to know him. Um, and I think Herb Street's point at the end of the broadcast where things were winding down and he was saying, could be Jonathan Mingo sometimes, could be Braylon yeah. Sanders at times. Like, I'm excited to see what – I mean, Lane Kiffin wasn't even there. I'm excited to see – because I know at times they're going to do weird stuff with John Reese Plumley, And him <laughs> being a full-time wide receiver is just like it's odd. another – Gadget, and you don't feel like you have to snap him the ball, but you can give him the ball in, in space and make him. And he might be the most athletic guy on their team, or certainly one of them. Yeah. But Corral, three hundred eighty-one yards, a touchdown, no picks. Could have had more passing touchdowns if they really wanted to not just run it down Louisville's throat. Um, they knew that they could. He also scored a, a rushing touchdown. He ran the ball, wasn't afraid of contact and all that those kinds of things. I just think that the defense was a really impressive. But let's grade them on a curve. Sure. Like, let's grade them on a Malik Cunningham wasn't very good. Louisville was not getting any uh, any rushing push by the offensive line. And when that's the case, and there's no wide receiver getting separation and no offensive line getting push, there's really no answer. And to that extent, I don't think we can properly grade yeah. Ole Miss as like, oh, yeah, their offense is fixed. Like, give me... Because they only have two more games before they play Bama, and it's at Bama, and you're not learning. You're not you're not learning much next week against Austin P. 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 Around the bull, and in two weeks, two weeks, I'll say you'll learn something. Like Tulane, that's a game that you'll there learn. Be you'll learn there. a little bit. Um, if they shut Tulane down, if they look better than or Oklahoma's defense looked against Tulane, that'd be an encouraging sign. They went games. out and got the sneaky fun non-conference games against Tulane and Liberty. Yes, like two games that will be very aesthetically pleasing. And they get a, a week off before they play Bama. Um, I'm the Them getting A&M and them getting LSU at home and seeing what we saw tonight, Yeah, that's Tulane, Liberty, LSU, A&M. All four of those games in Oxford, all four of those games, I feel like are a must-watch for anyone who enjoys innovative Football, a lot of RPO, and just great offense and exciting crowds. That's going to be; those are going to be like real great college football atmosphere games. Um, and I'm glad that we're going to see it. I would almost certainly venture to guess that when the AP poll comes out tomorrow, Ole Miss will be ranked. Yeah, the performance they put on tonight is worthy of that, especially because Herbstreit said it in the game all summer long. 
This defense was told they would be the reason why Ole Miss did not win games this year. And I think they took that personally, given, like you said, they're being graded on a curve. But there was more energy. The The plays looked different on the defensive side of the ball this year than they did last year. I just want to highlight a couple guys who I felt like made an impact and caught my attention. DeAndre uh, Prince, Otis Reese, uh, Henry Lakia, and then, of course, the transfer Chance Campbell and Jake Springer. I feel like those are guys on the defensive side of the ball, like legit dudes. And five or six legit dudes on defense might be enough for Ole Miss to win nine games. Yeah, and because they're going to put up points. Yeah, they're going to. I like forty three tonight, and they easily could have could have put up fifty. They had a couple drives where they weren't running tempo, like they just didn't feel the need to, and could have scored on a drive at the end of the game if they wanted to. There was a lot going on where it felt kind of like foot was being pulled off the gas three points in the third quarter that was not them trying their hardest I would say um I came away thinking that Ole Miss played like a B plus a minus game yeah and still dominated which is encouraging but also I came away with my thought from the ACC preview that we did last week where or at the end of last week where I said if Malik Cunningham is not good like this team might not make a bowl game and nothing about that game automatic automatic bowl game I said to you this is gonna be a blowout the Louisville was bad last year and lost for two best players. And it's four straight years that people have hyped up Louisville as some... Who was hyping up Louisville? Who was that person? Uh, ACC Media. Why? They've been they've been voted top half of the league for years. I mean, there's a 14-team league, so top half is top seven, but still. It's where people keep thinking they're going to be. So let's visit the ACC now. Obviously, I got Miami grossly wrong. I wasn't the only person... Who did that? But will wear that. Alabama is a machine and proved some things to me about where we're at with college football. And I don't want to make gross overreactions, but I, I think guys are just more prepared to play than ever before. And I think Alabama does a better job of preparing guys to play than anywhere in the country. And as soon as John Mechie caught that ball, turned the corner and got into the end zone, I literally I looked at you. I said, oh, no. <laughs> and it was over. It was over. It wasn't. It wasn't close from that point on. It was. It, the acclimation period for Bryce Young doesn't seem to be very long, and that's not great for someone who's holding a Bama mm-hmm. under ticket on wins this season. Even though I need just one, I don't know where it's going to come from now, <laughs> and that's scary. It's scary to think that hey, you know, they look. You're betting on Hayes King, or or like a absurd Matt Corral game or an absurd Bo I don't Nicks. think he's going to be able to do that against that defense. Bo Nix last weekend in November? Whoa, Bo. Maybe. Maybe. Um, you never know with Bo. You just got to hope that uh, that Bama's offense has some week where someone gives Bryce Young something that he's never seen. But yeah. the hope of that is, is not very high at yeah. all. Alabama had some big injuries on defense, but they're, they are Alabama. And they yeah. are who we thought they were, or at least what some people thought they were. Not L- me. Losing Not me. Christopher Allen. They, they are a lot better than I thought they were. Yeah, you thought AM was better. So I, I still think they might be. But AM's defense shut down a, a team that was tops in the nation, top five in the nation in a lot of offensive categories last year. In Kent State, there was a crazy bad beat in that one which I guess we can get to a little bit later as well. But let's talk about how bad this really was for the ACC because this was ultimately somewhat of a nightmare scenario. It starts with North Carolina losing to Virginia Tech. You can say the silver lining in that is, hey, Virginia Tech 
proves that they're a competent team. Okay, cool. You move on to Saturday, and it gets bad with Clemson losing in a game they didn't score a touchdown in. Obviously, Miami. A couple other results around the league didn't go favorably. Charlotte beat Duke. Charlotte beat Duke. I think uh, they can survive that one. <laughs> Northern Illinois beat Georgia Tech. Yeah, that was not great. Florida State looked good. I Florida State looked good, bad. but lost. And then Louisville lost got a em- quasi member Notre Dame. <laughs> yes. And Louisville got embarrassed by Ole Miss. So tell me instead, the entire National Congress of the media has been talking about the black eye that the ACC has currently. Tell, okay. tell me the good things. Okay, here's the good things. NC State pounded Rolled. pounded South Florida 45 nothing. Boston College yes did what they were supposed to with Colgate 151 nothing. Pitt didn't mess around with a really crappy UMass team 151-7. Syracuse on the road, they were a 1 point favorite. They won by 20. That's That's big. Pretty Im- encouraging. 2 QB system. Apparently uh, it works for them. Virginia didn't allow a point against William and Mary. Those are all things that are supposed to happen. Everything else aside from Clemson losing to Georgia as a favorite um, and North Carolina not being the clear top 10 team that people thought they were going to be. Everything else I feel like is explainable. Even Virginia Tech I feel like is explainable. Yeah. And the, the Clemson thing is discouraging because the strength of the conference probably means it's going to, like I said during our ACC preview, probably means it's really hard to foresee them getting to the playoff uh, barring an 11-0 and run through the conference, a dominant conference title game against someone of note. Um, and they need that Boston College team to take care of business and be undefeated, mm-hmm. get through Missouri, all of those types of things. And they need some help from other conferences. But I will say, if this was the Pac-12, if the Pac-12 had a weekend like this, if the Pac-12 has a weekend like this next week, um, where the Pac-12 comes out, and let's look at the week two slate for the Pac-12. Oregon, Which I think the Pac-12, had a, aside from the Washington stumble, which is really bad. Washington State lost to Utah so the, State. So the Pac-12 South had an awesome weekend. The Pac-12 North had a dismal one. Yes. Um, if the Pac-12 comes out next week and goes, Oregon loses to Ohio State, Colorado gets drubbed by A&M, Cal gets beat by TCU, they're 10-point underdogs. She's a bull. And then Washington loses to Michigan. If those In prime four, time. If those four things happen... If something bad happens to Utah against BYU or San Diego State upsets Arizona. San Diego State lost their opener, correct? No, they won their opener. They ended up coming back and winning. Uh, yes, they won 28-10 against a bad New Mexico State team. So not a good San Diego State team. If that bad San Diego State team beats Arizona, it's going to look bad for the Pac-12. But the big games, if they lose the big games that they're supposed to lose anyways just because it's yeah. their, their favored or their underdogs in all of those matchups— I, as a Pac-12 person, would probably explain it away. And ACC people will probably explain it away, but it doesn't change the fact that the Pac-12 or the ACC both would be way behind the eight ball in terms of getting a playoff yeah, team. and it almost and ensures that two teams from the SEC, SEC are getting the playoff. In. Or that Oklahoma is like going to cruise to one as well. And maybe you'll say no. Maybe you'll say Texas could give them a push. Um, I would. I don't... I don't think we can ever take anything from Iowa State Week One because Iowa State Week One loves yeah. to just play an FCS team and have them and play struggle. them close. That just is tradition yeah. in Ames. 
but Texas looked really good. Oklahoma didn't necessarily look dominant, but you're not always going to be dominant, and we can't just exp- can't, we can't just be like, oh, you didn't dominate week one, you can't make the playoff because that's not the truth. Yeah, that's it's not a the massive case. overreaction. But losing week one, we've never seen someone make the playoff after losing in week also one. True. So Clemson would have to break the mold to do so. Yeah. So I have a lot of questions for you, but we'll start with this one. Oklahoma did not look great against Tulane. Did a lot of the stuff that they did last year in the sense that they're a fabulous team. They get up on teams and they fall asleep. And it gets way closer than it needs to be at the end. Yes. I do love that Spencer Rattler came out in the postgame press conference and called his team out. Spencer Rattler last year wouldn't have done that. Agreed. That's a really encouraging sign. Tulane was playing an emotionally charged game because of everything that happened with Ida uh, and the fact that they were playing that game in Norman. Yes, absolutely. That That's true as well. If Oklahoma actually isn't that great, if Texas loses a game along the road, you know, is there any scenario to you, and you know where I'm going, <laughs> Three SEC teams where A&M playoff. only loses to Bama, Georgia only loses to Bama, or even beats Bama in the SEC title game, and Alabama has one loss. Is there any world in which the SEC gets three in, and what would that mean for college football? You would need carnage. It would mean the. It, I, it I'm assuming th- in this scenario, Ohio State would be the fourth. Yeah, because Clemson, I, I balked at you when you said this in real time, but Clemson might be done. Yeah, I think that Clemson is at a significant disadvantage. Um, the nature of their performance, I think, has massive significance. And you can explain that greater than I can. And you had greater issues. I think you had greater issues with their performance than I did. Yes. I had greater issues with the result of the performance pre it happening than you thought you would. So, does that make any sense? Did yes. I lose you there? Uh, a little bit. Okay. I'm going to pretend like I got it. Okay. The route to, and we don't need to do what I literally hate about this sport, which is the over-talking about and over-pontificating about the playoff thing, but the SEC is at a significant advantage in terms of getting two teams in in large part because Georgia is going to probably roll through the rest of their schedule um you would think that they'll get better yeah on They're only the offensive teams. side of the ball given yeah. the fact of who was not available for them yeah guys will come back and they won't play a defense as good as Clemson's until the SEC title you would certainly think so um I mean that is just about an objective fact and Florida didn't look good so the SEC East contender you would say is is Kentucky um Florida's probably moving up in the AP poll this week even though I thought they were worse looking than I thought they'd be um I think all of those things go or point themselves to us getting an undefeated matchup in the SEC title game Mm -hmm. and it being Bama or A&M undefeated against Georgia and if that happens Barring an undefeated Pac-12 team, and it probably won't be or couldn't be in this scenario, you probably cannot get Ohio State in the playoff along with an undefeated Pac-12 team because that undefeated Pac-12 team would probably have to be Oregon unless you are super, 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 super high on one of the UCLA, ASU, USC trios, and I wouldn't be on USC based on what we saw Saturday. But San Jose State's a good team. That is fair, but I just think the depth of the receivers for USC is not the same as it used to be. Yeah, sure. And that's 
a disadvantage. Mountain West is good. This is a long way of saying, I think that there's roughly a 40-50% chance that the SEC is getting at least the, two the, teams. The in. Mountain West is an interesting league. Yeah, like Fresno State's competitive. Nevada is going to be really yeah, competitive. Yeah, got a guy who could go in the first round at quarterback, beat Cal. Yeah, and then uh, course, San Jose State yeah. as well. Yeah, and Boise. Who, yeah, who lost. Who to lost, UCF, but, but is still good. Yeah, yeah. interesting league. Um, Fresno State plays UCLA this weekend, and that... Next weekend. Next weekend, the excuse me. Still has my interest, because UCLA it could easily l- stumble in that game. It Yeah, it does, but it has less of my interest knowing that UCLA has a bye this week, Yeah, and Fresno State has to deal with Cal Poly. I know that Cal Poly is not a team that they're going to lose to, but it's still... You don't normally play teams in week four when that team is coming off of a bye. But at the same time, the UCLA schedule kind of lends itself to them looking ahead to Stanford, looking ahead to ASU, um, that Pac-12 schedule. Based on what we saw, though, this weekend, it could be a game because Fresno hung with Oregon. Before we get to UCLA... Let's talk about Clemson and Georgia. Okay. That was the, the headliner marquee game of the weekend. To me, I think the biggest thing, Clemson had two rushing yards in this game. Problems that were a problem last year or a problem again this year. I said to you, previewing them, my only concern about this team was their offensive line, and it turned out to be a way bigger concern than even I imagined. But a lot of the blame... And nationally, I don't feel like it's being passed on to him. A lot of the blame does rest on the shoulders of DJ, DJ Uyangalele. It just does. And you can say guys weren't getting open at the next level. You can say he wasn't supported by a run game. You can say he was under immediate pressure. He was sacked seven times in this game. All those things are true. Some of the sacks are his fault. He was being indecisive with the ball. But, like, dude, you need to realize you're 250 pounds. And you need to realize that... When this offense has broken down in the past two ten years of quarterbacks, running lanes appear because of the style of offense they play for QBs. And the and quarterbacks who are typically and are great pocket passers were willing to run, and that's what opened things up. Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson were turning plays that were sacks on Saturday night into 25-yard runs. They weren't preserving themselves for Sundays. And I, I'm not saying that that's what DJ was doing. He looked overwhelmed by a great defense. I would argue that was the best defensive performance we've seen in five years. That's the lowest total of points Clemson's been held on to, held to since 2007. It was their first scoreless half. First, the first scoreless half, for half a long in over 100 time. games. Yeah. And it was the lowest point total put up under Dabo Sweeney. It is a remarkable defensive performance. And by the way, they scored the only touchdown of the game as well. They outscored the Clemson <laughs> offense by themselves. Yeah. They could have gotten no help from their offense and would have won the game. And Clemson's field goal, um, I believe, came off an interception. Off of an interception. Yeah, it was off of JT Daniels' pick. No, it did not. No, they didn't do anything with that. No, No, you're right. Um, Yeah, somehow they put together 10 plays for 82 yards. Yeah. Just bad. I just misremembered. Just bad. Um, I mean... Do you believe Dabo in, in like, they abandon the run too much? Because I think that that's kind of a hindsight thing of, like, yeah, it looks bad when your running backs only end up with seven carries, but at the same time, you weren't 
having any success with it. And you gotta keep doing you, it though. But and you weren't having it's it shows it's hard for an offensive line to gain any kind of continuity or confidence if you don't trust them to run the football. Because pass pro pass pro is hard. Yeah, I think I think the first and ten calls are something that you can maybe debate because first and ten was getting you when you get sacked seven times in a game, yeah. it's getting you so far behind the sticks that running the ball is not an option. But at the same time, like running the ball was not an option on second and third down pretty much Every single time. I'll say this. Clemson has definitely lost their luster at this point. The mystique of they can't lose the big game because they're Clemson is gone. Their last three significant games, like truly significant games, this game, Notre Dame last year, regular season. Well, Notre Dame ACC title game, they had to um, win that game. Yes, they had to win that game. It's a little different. I, I feel like the energy around that game is a little different. Playoff game against Ohio State. Playoff game against LSU. Pretty much ever since they beat Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl, they have not had a good track record in these nationally significant super games other than beating Notre Dame in the ACC title. And I felt like they should have lost to Ohio State the year before. Like I, th- I felt like Ohio State should have been the team matching up with Burrow and LSU in that national title game, and it wasn't the case. But certainly, D- I, I would say you feel differently about Clemson than you do about Alabama, and the the success of Bama is certainly greater than Clemson. But people felt like Clemson was approaching it, and there's just an invincibility to Alabama that we just don't feel with Clemson. But it, that, that's it's crazy gettable. how it tilts so fast. Because two years ago, we were wondering, hey, is Saban lost a step? They just they lost to Auburn to end the year. They lost two games. It, it crazy how it changes. Certainly. Um, so let's talk about UCLA. Okay. I'm not gonna just be like I told you so, especially because I ended up picking against them. Okay. I'm blaming that entirely on watching too many 2019 LSU <laughs> hype videos before the pod. I knew. I know that that's that's what you stumbled upon and it's legitimately true but at the same time so I'll say to you the same thing or I'll say to L- to UCLA the same thing I said to you after week one so we you came in here after UCLA beat Hawaii 44 to 10 and you said yes I was right about UCLA and I said are you saying that because you don't believe long term in them and you said maybe and then UCLA goes out and they beat LSU. But then remember, I did pick them to win the Pac-12. Yes, on that podcast. That, that, that correct. Yes, and that's where it, let, let me let, me get <laughs> let, me get the, let you get there. Then UCLA goes out, they beat LSU. After Orgeron does his little come in here in your sissy blue th- shirt thing, and I texted you this today. I said, do you think UCLA is leaning so far into this and making all the jokes that they feel like they got to make? Because they know that when they get into that Pac-12 play and they play Arizona State and they play USC and they play Oregon and they play, I'm not going to say Washington because Washington clearly looks like they kind of suck. They, when they play Utah and all those type of teams, maybe they're going to get got and, you know, chips, the visor, I mean, the, the visor might be a real thing. Like the visor, visor chip at Oregon was a thing. Visor chip is back. Like it might be a thing, but... Do you think there's any worth to like, oh, we're, they're over-celebrating this Is thing? the Pac-12 South the second-best division in college football? 
behind no, only the SEC West. No, I think it is. I think the Big Ten East is still better. I don't. I think it is. You've got the best team got, of any of it with Ohio State. Sure. You've got Penn State, who I think you can no you can push back on this. I think Penn State is every bit as good as like an Arizona State or a Utah for sure. Okay. For fair, sure. Fair. And then from there, Michigan State looks better than we thought. So, but so Rutgers and and then yes, and then Indiana and Rutgers and Maryland. Maryland's those things all kind of all kind of push back. The Pac-12 South still has the worst team of any of those with Arizona. I haven't won, I haven't won a game. In but to your point, over seven hundred days, and I'll credit you on this: when the AP poll comes out tomorrow, the two divisions that are going to have the most teams ranked are the SEC West and the Pac-12 South. And it'll probably be, unless LSU drops out, it'll probably be four and four in both. Mm-hmm. Unless, yes, it'll be four and four in both. The great juggernaut that is Colorado is coming. Is no, A and M this weekend? Is that a, is that a, a Peyton T. Galler love fest? No, no, that's not a Pac-12 game though, so I'm not worried. It is. What do you mean it's not? Oh, it's not okay. Yeah, so it, can, it won't the affect them. It doesn't affect the, the Pac-12 South. Were you encouraged or discouraged by uh, the, the showing against Northern strong Colorado? Performance, strong Friday performance. Back. Well done, boss. Brandon Lewis. Uh, what did Brandon Lewis finish with? Other little, things around college football I just wanted to touch on. What a performance from Shane Beamer's team in their first game. Zeb Nolan looked good. That building was bumping. Oh, I can't believe that you're going to South Carolina after you're going. You, you we're jumping. Coast to coast. It's college football. Um, I was just checking. Jarek Broussard, 15 for 94. Pretty nice. No points in the first quarter. That's a tough start against Northern Colorado. 35-7. We'll take it. Okay. Zeb Nolan was awesome. Before we do a couple different little games to compartmentalize this whole thing, we're going to do what we got right, what we got wrong. We'll do a little bit of, I think we're calling this underwhelmed, overwhelmed, and just whelmed. Even though we realize that whelmed is, means the same thing as overwhelmed and it's just old English and has de- died now. Yes. Um, and then we'll do some superlatives at the end. Um, but first, let me ask you this. Which loss is worse? UConn losing to Holy Cross, Vanderbilt losing to ETSU by multiple scores, or Washington losing to Montana? Um Washington losing to Montana is so bad. There's only been five games where an, a ranked FBS program lost to an FCS program. This was the fifth one. That's worse. Like you, I know you're in a tizzy about Vanderbilt losing to ECSU, bottom. and it's really bad. But I can empathize with you because I've been there before. And as bad as that is, I think it's actually less embarrassing than Washington. Because I don't. I think it is. I think it is because not only is Washington losing, Montana's they're a losing. Good FCS program. They're losing. ETSU isn't. They're losing with ignorance because it's Jimmy Lake being like, "I'm such a good defensive coach that I can go out and get a coordinator who had one of the worst seasons in Penn State offensive coordinating history." So bad that people were like, "Yuck! I'm we're, you're never getting a job as anything other than an offensive analyst at the NFL level where we can hide you behind this the schism of pro style offense," and then Jimmy Lake. Pulls him all the way to Seattle from Jacksonville, and things go south. So that is embarrassing to me, and I think it's way worse than the Vandy thing because the Vandy thing, at least, it's first game of an era. You're building some things up. 
It's not a great start to the. It's not a great start, but that the worst loss in Vanderbilt football history. But Notre Dame missed Clark Lee. They gave up more sixty-yard plus That's plays true. with uh, last night than they did in any time. And period. he scored three points against an FCS. That's team. fair. Yeah, exactly. But they made a field goal, and it was a long field goal. <laughs> Good for them. Progress. Um. I'd say I'm gonna say UConn's the worst though. UConn was and Randy Edsel because Randy Edsel was retired. Bye. Well, he was. I'm I'm good, guys. He was actually first like uh, I'm gonna retire at the end of the year, and then the AD came in and was like, "You can just go now if you want to." He pulled Avante Davis, gone at halftime. The question then the the most sad thing was him like firing up his team. They're down ten, puts his hand in the air in the huddle, like let's go, guys. And nobody else put their hand in the air. Yeah, it was not the reaction you want. They should just disband their football program. It loses money. Does it lose money? I'm sure. Kansas football does not lose money, just so you know. So I wouldn't be surprised if UConn football makes money. Kansas football people care. They're also in a conference, so they get TV money. UConn is not. Yeah, UConn, man. Fiesta Bowl 11 years ago. To this, to like losing to Holy Cross, not scoring a point against Fresno State. It's really bad. Nowhere to go, not a fertile recruiting base. It's really bad. It's tough. Vandy and Kansas and Arizona, all significantly better. Yeah, they can find their way back up. Tough. 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 Sorry, Randy. All right, what we get right, what we get wrong. Um, Let's hear you start for this one. Well, UCLA, I think, is the obvious one. Okay. That team can run the heck out of the football. Common misconception about Chip Kelly, I've been trying to tell this to people, whoever would listen since Kenyon Barner was running for him. This offense isn't about quarterbacks. It's not about flashy yardage numbers or throwing the ball down the field. It's about running the football. And they flat out out-physicaled LSU. Yeah. In a meaningful and just flatly mean way. I don't know what the hell is wrong with LSU. I don't know if there's a sense of entitlement after the national title. I don't know how that could have that ego could have survived last year. Derek Stingley just flatly is not as good as he is advertised. At bottom line, I don't care how good you are in coverage. If you're not willing to tackle, it doesn't matter. That was the thing that drove me insane about watching LSU, even before the Stingley uh, Kyle Phillips play. It was bad before then. Guys just like... Playing seven on seven, like I'm gonna two hand touch you, and that's supposed to end the play, right? Or like, like the Dulcich play on the 75 yard touchdown, the first guy missing the tackle, just because he wanted to dive at the legs of a 250 pound tight end. He's who, on the sideline. Wrap yeah, up. Yeah, like push. Use the sideline as a defender, rather than like diving should have been the last resort, and it was the first. In and that like case. you know, you thought firing Bo Pelini would fix it. Something's really broken there right now, and it's going to take a Herculean coaching job for Ed O to get it turned around. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. Um, But UCLA is legitimately can line up and play against any team in the country. They may not beat Alabama, but they can play with them. Whoa, let's... That offensive line is good enough. That run game is creative enough. For them to survive against any defense. I think we should just stop comparing anyone to Bama. Okay, fair. 
I won't um, do that. And the defense of Georgia, too, is like they would probably just suffocate anybody. Um, I will go with what I got right, Indiana due for aggression. Yeah. It, it's not something that I'm a fan of saying. Indiana. That was tough as well. Bad look for Adidas this weekend. Um, Tom Allen was able to make jokes about it and making sure that his hat still was spelled correctly. That's funny. It was but only one guy's jersey, right? It was just one guy's jersey. Yeah. How does that happen? I have no idea. Um, Michael Penix Jr., 14-31, three picks, two pick sixes, both of which to Riley Moss, who became an internet sensation because people didn't realize that there was a good white cornerback. Uh, and he played for Iowa, which kind of dumbfounded people. Um, he plays for I Iowa. I think Andrew Hawkins, former Cleveland Browns receiver, he tweeted something about it of someone he knew was at the game and was laying like, Iowa has this lockdown corner, and then sent the highlight, and he looked it up, and he was like, yo, this this boy's different. <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of like a, a crazy realization. But uh, Indiana, six points, man. They get beat by 28. I knew Kinnick was going to be rocking and like the return to football, the return to fans was awesome, but they just had no answers. And Freifogel, five for 84, was about the only positive they had. Stephen mm-hmm. Carr, three three yards per Aptoma carry. mid. It was tough. And I'll just transition like right into where I was wrong in terms of the Big Ten West. Maybe Iowa is what I thought Wisconsin was going to be because, and maybe this Wisconsin is. Wisconsin ain't. Maybe this is just Wisconsin had a tough. A tough week, and they're not actually. No one in this division is going to be a real college football playoff contender. Um, somebody's just going to have to take the bear, the brunt against Ohio State the first weekend in December. Mm-hmm. But Iowa looks like they at least had like an identity, and maybe it's just they got Indiana, and Indiana is less competent than Penn State this year. Maybe that's the case. Um, well, but it looks like I was wrong on Wisconsin again, and I would say I'm not even. I still believe in the talent of Graham Mertz, and clearly other people do too because he's more talented well, than Jack Cohn. But it, well, it, none I of don't the, know if that's true after watching Jack Cohn at a different offense. We can talk about that. And but it, but at the same time, none of it matters if the play calling is archaic. None of it matters if he fumbles three snaps and handoffs. And the also not zone. good. Also not good. Can't do that in that offense. Cannot. Uh, something I was wrong about. Jack Cohn can ball. Yeah. Where did that come from? And just never takes his helmet off. Did it's you awesome. That? It's awesome. It's honestly kind of off-putting. Like, like odd. <laughs> like, are we sure? He's so daggum good. I mean, like maybe the best quarterback in performance in an actually meaningful game. Bryce Young. Made oh, the it. weekend. Bryce Young made it so that his Bryce Young. Didn't. It also looked like he was playing on rookie. Jack Cohn needed to be great for them to win this game, and he was. And, and by the way, that was the best stadium environment of the first weekend, right? Yeah, for sure. Not it's not Lane. It's not mm, Lane was pretty freaking good. It, it was bumping in Charlotte. Just because there's not as many points doesn't mean it wasn't a great atmosphere. The Notre Dame like, FSU game just that, had that so game many was back a classic. Everything you could possibly want out of a college football game happened on Sunday. Mm-hmm. 26 for 35, 366, four touchdowns. Hitting long balls that I didn't know he could throw. His pick was on a Hail Mary. Hail Mary that didn't matter. He was perfect. Yeah, he was awesome. Um, and, and something I was right about, tight ends are all the way back. Yes. 
Michael Mayer was ridiculously good aside from a drop at the end of regulation. Two that would of put them. Him, oh, he had two. Well, two. the big one was the one that he dropped to put him in field goal range, but he also had a 50-yard touchdown to start the game and was Notre Dame's consistently best weapon. Um, Notre Dame's better than I thought they were. We haven't even talked about the um, I wish I could execute my players quote from Chip Kelly. Or, I mean, Brian Kelly, because Chip, <laughs> it was bound to happen. It was bound to happen. <laughs> Oh, from Brian Kelly. <laughs> and that one was predictable because it was I wish such I could execute me. Um, um, <laughs> but do you want to talk about that, or is it too stupid to talk about? Uh, I I think that I think there were there were legitimately people that looked that were mad about it. I was taken aback when he said it. I they was were, like, did he just say that? And then there was yeah, there was people who were actually like you were like, oh, I did I hear him right? I heard him, and then I was like, eh, kind of funny. There was other people who were like, yo, this is messed up. And then the quote comes out, and he clearly just butchered it. And as I said to you this morning, I would have thought it was funnier if the prompt was actually set up for him, if Katie George had actually asked him, what did you think about your team's execution tonight? And it was literally teed up for him, and he just hit the drive down the middle of the fairway. But that's not the case. He like went, he went out of his way to, to go. <laughs> Say, for it. I want he was to like, he's like, murder just, my whole team. I just gotta get this joke off, guys, because we just got this huge victory, and I can I can be come off as being a funny guy. But like at the same time, it's just so, so unnecessary. Here's what I said to you that I'll say again. Do I think this is a thing that matters? Absolutely not. Right? Do I think that the reason that there was some degree of outrage? Is synthetic. Yeah, 100% I do. But what I also will say is that this is when something like that leaves the mouth of a coach, especially an older coach like Brian Kelly, it triggers this feeling of this thing that still lingers. This mentality, this dark mentality that's still around where coaches think that they are above their players that their players are kind of livestock to an extent that is from our father's era of coaches, the Woody Hayes approach. My dad's not that old. (laughs) My dad is. (laughs) Um, And although I don't think that exists with Brian Kelly, it triggers some sort of fight-or-flight response in you, and you immediately are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Those players aren't there just to serve you and the execution you want out of them. And although I don't think he meant it that way, I think that is the root cause of some of the outrage. Potentially. I just don't think that... I understand. I know of the situation with the video staffer that was very unfortunate at Notre Dame, but it's like in terms of treating his players... Incorrectly, I've never heard of. No, I haven't either, and that's why I'm not. That's why I'm about this. Like, if it was someone who had done, it was Bob Knight. If it was, it was like, I'm not going to say any names. If it was someone who Who had Bush Jones, yeah, allegedly hit a player at Tennessee. Exactly. If it was something like that, I would probably have an issue with it because that's not someone who can make those jokes. Um, For this, I just 
we're better off just focusing on how great of a game the, the game was. Yeah, so that was an aside. But, yeah, I, I feel vindicated by Florida State. Kind of felt like something was changing there. A culture and, reset was and, coming, and it looked that way. And people were making fun of them because all offseason they drummed up and they hyped about, like, hey, we're going to have 100 unofficial visitors on this trip on the, for this game. We're going to have 11 official visitors, and they're all going to be, like, four-star dudes who are legit, who could be program changers, program builders. And people were like, you're going to invite 111 to dudes get to watch you get killed by Notre Dame? And, and it they, looked like they were going to get killed for a second. Yeah, and then and we can talk about this. And then Notre Dame just let them go went three man defensive front were like run the ball. I I think that the hope was they can't make a huge comeback just running the ball. Yeah. But it was such big gashes that they could and it just kind of built up. We'll say this and I thought it was coming at some point in time and this is going to sound cruel and it's going to sound mean but Notre Dame has people on staff that are paid to win football games and they did what they needed to do to do that. Mackenzie Milton gets down into the red zone. They've got the ball, they've yeah. got a chance to win. Third and medium, and it was like they just said it may have even been an overtime actually when this happened. And they just said, you know what? Okay, Mackenzie Milton. And this ended up being the play, so it wasn't overtime. This was was a play that the incomplete pass that should have been been intentional (laughs) grounding that made no sense. That it was like, why would you challenge that? It should be grounding anyway. They just said, all right, guy who just horribly broke his leg and has been away from football for two years, we're gonna throw eight guys at you and we're gonna see what you do and it was bad yeah predictable but it didn't change but it doesn't change the mckenzie milton story it was incredible his first pass being a beautiful completion on the sideline and joe test taking a massive gamble of saying welcome back to college football mckenzie milton while that ball was in flight because that doesn't sound so great if it's just an incompletion or if it's a pick (laughs) i would like to believe i'm not even going to say i'd like to believe i just know that Tess like saw how open the guy was. I just I, I'm gonna choose to believe it was just touched by God. No, I. <laughs> I it God was a pretty on wide, this. It was a pretty, Kanye West. It was a pretty wide open pass. I didn't look wide open to me. I think the game broadcast made it look a little less than probably played out in front of him. But it doesn't change the fact it was awesome. How do you feel about Florida State? Do you think they are the second best team in the ACC? No. I don't know. I just want to see how wild I feel like you thought I was just like guard was down and I could just slip this one in and get him to agree with me on something. That was not the case. Okay. Um, No, Florida State's... They're going to make a bowl. Fifth best team? Sixth best team? No. No. They're better than North Carolina. They're not better than North Carolina. Guess what? Guess what? Matthew Barry agrees with me on this. He doesn't understand why people thought North Carolina was going to be good either. Their defense still, like, North Carolina's defense wasn't is a problem. Is Virginia Tech's offense good? You can't be like, after after it happens, be like, Braxton Burmeester, great performance. And then yeah, he played really well. During the game, and then afterwards be like, yeah, but is their defense, is their offense any good? I don't know if it is that great. We only have one game of a sample size. That works the same way for North Carolina. And it works the same way. Let's see what Florida State looks like for a noon kickoff when Doak's not rocking. And it's not Notre Dame. Let's Fair. see. Fair. Let's see. Fair. I'm not going to overreact. Um, with that being said, do you want to do overwhelmed, underwhelmed, or just whelmed? I'm trying to think of the other stuff that I got horribly wrong. Um, did I get Haynes King might not be great. Yeah, he might. A&M's going to be able to win in spite of him not being great. Yeah, it feels very Kellen Mond like. Um, he likes to carry the ball really up high when he runs. 
he throws the ball like Kellamon does. It's very elbows out. Yeah. Um, Tennessee. Hold on, I didn't even see. Go back up. How did Bailey Zappi do? Scroll down. This is really good. Twenty-eight podcasting. for thirty-five, four twenty-four, and seven touchdowns. Love to see it. Seven? Yes. Heisman. <laughs> Send the Mandy New York. We'll start total transfer island next week. Um, yeah, Kenneth Walker is going to have to get added to the squad. So is Tay Martell. No, he's not. Uh, we don't have room for four strings. Mm, did he I? wasn't on the depth chart because he's not on the roster yet. He's on the roster. He's been in practice. Um, it's not a thing of, like, was I right or wrong? Hudson Card looked like a good Heisman shout. Yeah, let's get to... Let's Kentucky to, and Boston College both look great. Those were teams I was really high on. Um, Kansas, well, Kansas won a game. I was right about that. You were. I knew they were going to win that game. Nah, there were some debates, but there was some sketchy stuff. But uh, Jason Bean pulled it out. Um, said that they had to do. He was said that they said that. Jason Bean said that in the huddle, he told guys, "We have to do this for the school. We have to do this for this state. We have to do it for this city." I've never heard of Lawrence referred to as a city because it's certainly not a city. Um, <laughs> very funny stuff from the North Texas transfer. Shout out Mean Green. Gave gave Lawrence something good. Um, let's do overwhelmed, underwhelmed, or just whelmed. Um, we curr- we definitely understand that whelmed means the same, same thing as overwhelmed. But for the purposes of this segment, whelmed just means something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was whelmed by Arizona State. Some would say underwhelmed. I just say whelmed. They can run the heck out of the football. I just don't think it's worth, like, really getting in a fuss about the first week yeah. performance. So, listen. College football, there is no preseason. When live games happen for the first time, you don't really know how a team's going to react. It's not really indicative of where any team is going to be by even week three or four. That's why, like, that's why... Stuff like, uh, what's his face, Kenny Trill happens in week one where a guy throws for 500 yards and then ends up being not that good. Yes. That's the beauty of college football. It's the beauty of why we're doing overwhelmed, underwhelmed, and whelmed. Yeah. But yes. So I was whelmed by Arizona State. Not underwhelmed. Some would say underwhelmed. The penalties obviously need to be cleaned up. But the defense continues to do that thing that shouldn't be possible, and that is force teams to turn the ball over at an alarmingly high rate. More than three times a game at so least. So here's the stat that we used on a show that we do here called Cronkite Sports Live. You said it was too confusing, so I'll explain it to it you. It certainly is so not something I've year, ever heard. Last year, Arizona State, it's not, a tradi- it's not like a stat. It's just a fact. Arizona State last year, their defense... For every seven points they allowed, they forced a turnover. So that means that if you scored 28, they also took the ball away four times. They did that again in this game. That's a stat that sh- turnover regression is a very real thing. You don't force turnovers at that rate in successive years. So the fact that they came out and did that again, forced four turnovers against a given Southern Utah, tells me that, hey, they're going to be able to turn teams over again this year. So it's all going to come down to the offense and if the offense can perform at a level of its talent, they can beat UCLA. They can go undefeated. Given it was only four games last year, some would say it's not a real season. I would certainly sure. agree with them. Uh, and I don't think that the turnover rate and the turnover margin for that year— But they turned over great offenses. They did it to USC. 
great offenses. Like Arizona, UCLA last year was not a great offense, and Oregon State last year was not a great offense. One of the four games was a great offense. Um, it's still encouraging. I would say the two touchdown drives, the penalties were the entire problems. Both Pretty much yeah. both times. Um, when Jaden Daniels went down, I thought I was going to jump out of the press box. Yeah, and I knew with one replay it was a cramp, so I did not react the same way. That's why I did not have that luxury. We're built different. We're built different in that sense. Uh, but the penalties should be cleaned up. I can't imagine another kick out of bounds happening next week. I can't imagine. I mean, I guess I could. I can't imagine another running into the kicker on. Uh, or actually, you know what's wild? Andre Johnson getting called for roughing the kicker and the Florida State kid getting called for running into. Yeah, that was a big break for Florida State. For Florida State in last night's game. Um, the whole rule has never made any sense to me, especially any time that the guy is completely up in the air mm-hmm. and just knocked over, it confuses me. Um, I think my my last ASU take after week one is just that they're going to beat UNLV by more than they beat Southern Utah. It's possible. It's very possible. Like 27, I'd... I think they'll win by more than four scores. Overwhelmed goes to Texas. I said there was going to be a culture reset with this team, but that team looked tougher than they've looked since Mac Brown left against Louisiana. They looked great. They in, looked great. In previous regimes, uh, a ranked school, it doesn't matter if it's Maryland, it doesn't matter if it's Louisiana. I mean, Maryland wasn't even ranked the, the times that they played them. It doesn't matter if it was a Louisiana-type game. They'd find a way to make it a game yep. and make it competitive and make it a sweat, make it something that's not enjoyable for their fans. At no point on Saturday was I like, man, Texas might lose in the entire 60 minutes. They looked it an awful like, lot better than Iowa State. Certainly. And like B. John Robinson, the, the, uh, it wasn't a touchdown play, but he had a 27, 28, maybe 30-yard reception on just – a route down the middle of a field where he just diced a cornerback. And it's like the fact that he can do that out of the backfield and then run through people, run past people, it's super impressive. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he's more likely to win the Heisman or if it's Hudson Card, but (laughs) Hudson Card shows up and would be one of my superlatives this week. He was terrific. Um, I would say I was overwhelmed by the UCLA rushing attack because I'm – I'm used to Pac-12 teams getting manhandled by defensive fronts that they're supposed to get manhandled by. And you would think with the bodies and the talent that LSU has that they would get pushed off of the ball, and that never happened. And the UCLA play action looked great. The UCLA rushing attack looked great. And I know it's Chip Kelly. Um, I know it took him some time to get back to college football, get back to being innovative. I feel like this UCLA team gives me some mega LA Rams, Jared Goff Super Bowl vibes of like really good running backs. Um, I don't feel super super oh, comfortable. Dude. I just don't feel super comfortable when like what did Dorian do in this game that was bad? When DTR, no no no, it's not a disservice to DTR, but okay. when DTR goes into empty, I feel the same way as I do when Jared Goff goes into empty, and it's like you shouldn't something bad is. Something bad's going to happen. You shouldn't. And, uh, I mean, enough throws. I will bet you this. When ASU plays UCLA, 
They're picking off DTR twice. That's my prediction. Okay. It's going to happen. Um, That's going to be a huge game in the Rose Bowl. I can't wait to be there. Coming both, up, both teams should be 4-0. Both teams should be ranked somewhere between 15 be and 22. Game. I don't think so. Well, I'll look at the schedule I don't think for that week. I don't think ESPN has it. I think it's going to be a Fox game or a Pac-12 Network game. No way. That stays on Pac-12 Network, but I'll, I'll take a look into what the slate looks like that week. Um, it's week four. Six. Six. I believe. That makes sense. Nope. Nope, it's week five. It is week five. This is great content. Um, Auburn LSU's that week, Indiana Penn State's that week. That seems less interesting. Uh, UConn Vandy's that week. That's a huge game. God, dude, that's going to be disgusting. Um, I mean, there's a very high probability based on what I'm looking at right now that it's this game. Really? So if both teams keep unless Kentucky if Kentucky hosts Florida that week, Oregon's at Stanford, Clemson has Boston College at home. I think Ole Miss Bama's getting it. Sadly, I really think Ole Miss Bama's getting it. Good. It's really sad. It's one of those two games. I was probably. at Maryland. That could be a fun game. Um, if both are if both ASU and UCLA are undefeated, they'll both be somewhere between twelve and twenty-two. Right. I think UCLA would be higher than that, having gone through Fresno State too. I think real ones know that Fresno State's good. I don't think the country does. What? But so fair. what do we think UCLA is ranked this week? I'll say... 15? I'll say 17. Okay. Um, and also, HC polls will start coming out after... After You know what? We aren't overreactionary, even though we're overreacting right now to some stuff. Um, let's give ourselves three weeks. And then we'll start releasing polls in week four. Okay. Before week four. Um, I was underwhelmed by DJ Uyangalale's Heisman campaign, and we've already talked about it's it. It's dead. But, yeah, exactly. It was short-lived, and it was underwhelming. Yeah. It was probably over by mid-second quarter. You realize, like, yo, this this ain't the moment. It's not happening. Um, 19 of 37, 178 yards, an interception. It was a pick six, so you could say he literally lost them the game on that oh, throw. You know where game day is going to be that week? Cincinnati Cincinnati and Notre Dame. Mm. Which that game is going to be on NBC. Unless Notre Dame loses to Wisconsin in two weeks. I suppose. Which Bailey Zappi going to East Lansing to play Eastern nope, Michigan? Stop. Or what? Uh, Michigan State, Eastern Michigan. <laughs> uh, let's stop with that one. Uh, I was... Also underwhelmed by Wisconsin's offense. Do we need to talk anymore about nope. it? It was pretty bad. No. Nope. Um, I was overwhelmed by fans in stadiums. That was pretty whelming. Yeah, it was pretty whelming. Um, and I was also overwhelmed by Alabama's offensive cohesion. The fact that it only took seven plays and it was like, yep, still got it. You ready with the beep? was scary. No, don't do it because I don't want to have to. I don't want to have to edit it. Don't don't do it. Have some restraint. Show some restraint. Oh, unfortunate for me. Um, yeah. Can we do superlatives? Let's do superlatives. All right. The uh, superlative for guy whose name sounds like a Heisman winner goes to Hudson Card. It does. And shout out Ryan Rosillo. He made a very good point. 
parents in Texas must just name their kids things that they think is most likely to be the quarterback for Texas. And most of the time, the quarterback for Texas has a name of someone that sounds like a guy that could win the Heisman. And that's a card. Sounds like somebody who could win the Heisman. Um, Haynes King also has the same type of situation, but Hudson Card wins the superlative because his performance was better this week. That's a shout-out to you. Way to just pull it out. You might have stumbled upon... <laughs> I'm not even going to take credit for that because I just was like, yeah. You're like, do I really have to make let's a Let's throw this against the wall. Uh, the superlative for studious individual goes to Hank Bachmeyer, who was in his class <laughs> at halftime, and said in the Zoom chat, I got to go, gotta guys. Go. And then the chat, his fellow students were like, Godspeed, Hank. Go get him. And go he, get him, Hank. And he threw a pick two and yards behind the line of scrimmage. Choked the lead away and lost UCF. Shout out Gus Melson. Shout out Big Cat Bryant. Yes. I'm just remembering we got to get to Gabe on. Gabe on Gabe's. That will come. As well. Um, got some huge plans for this. Um, the Maybe I'm Not Needed award goes to Lane Kiffin. I thought you were going to say Randy Etzel. <laughs> Finalist for the award this week. <laughs> uh, the Maybe I'm Not Needed award goes to Lane Kiffin uh, because in his halftime interview... <laughs> When Ole Miss was up 26 nothing tonight, he told Molly McGrath, uh, maybe I'll just have COVID all year long. Uh, I don't know if that <laughs> I don't know if that joke quite plays. Uh, um, Molly McGrath said, let's hope not. Very motherly response there. Um, very nice of her to say that. And then Matt Corral postgame was getting interviewed by Molly McGrath and said, I don't want to say this, but I can almost say we don't need him. <laughs> So maybe they don't. There's a good energy that Ole Miss team. I love it. Yeah, that add that to the powder blue jerseys. It's gonna be fun in Oxford. And you're getting a shirt. Sick names like Jerryon Ely and Don Terrio Drummond, Matt Corral, Matt Corral, John Reese Plumley. Yeah, JRP. Let me let me get some of that. So go Ole Miss. Hotty toddy, Hotty got toddy. Your money. Um, yeah, the. Will Levis, some eating a banana award goes to Alyssa Lang, <laughs> who decided to do it. I and was, then her dad, tw- I think, texted her and said, this is why we sent you to journalism school. No, she said, I'm like, this is an impending text. coming." Ah. She predicted it. So, so that was that. But Will Levis bald in Kentucky, bald. And it was against UL Monroe, but, oof. Like, I watched that game. 370-plus passing yards. Mark me down, Kentucky is better than Florida. That's... I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised one bit. Um, the... Kentucky ain't beating Georgia, but if there's a team in the East that will, it's going to be them. Yeah. The it's okay because we won award goes to JT Daniels because it yeah. really wasn't super impressive. 135 yards. Yeah. A and, and a pick that set Clemson up inside the 40, um, which they did nothing with because they got sacked two times and punted away. Um, but JT Daniels got to get better. I would say the receivers yeah. also will improve. But um, Did you enjoy watching that game or no? No, I did not enjoy okay. watching that game. No, I didn't, especially not as someone who bet the over. I love defense. <laughs> I love defense. I love good defense, too. But, but, like, when it's a game where it's more so about the offense being bad than the defense being dominant, which is what I felt this was, it's not as fun to watch. 
Yeah, like I don't think that the quarterbacks were pushing the secondaries to do anything special. It's not like the defenses were running around and making plays. It was like the offenses were trying to avoid breaking down against the overwhelming pressure of these defenses. Yeah, it was still awesome defense, but it was incredible. Um, I'm trying to think of if I've got any more superlatives. I don't think so. I think I just got those three. Okay, we can we can keep doing superlatives as the, on our on our he's reactionary. He's a big pods. boy. Award goes to Desmond Henderson <laughs> of or Desmond Watson rather. Yeah, of that was Florida. That's came in apparently at 480. And he's almost under 400 now, and he still has still mega, huge mega quads. Mega he's still quads. huge, and he wears a 20s number. Um. Can we go to Gabe on Gabe's? Let's do Gabe on Gabe's. All right, so this is a new Gabe segment. Urban. I don't want to show you everybody there. Yeah. Gabe on Gabe's. This is uh, me breaking down the best performances from the Gabe's of college football. Uh, it's going to be a little tough. I'm not a great X's and O's guy, so yeah. offensive line play. There are that I looked. I look. I looked up, and I will have to continue looking up. Might have to delve into some PFF grades. Um, for certain O-linemen who are Gabe's. So there there will be no O-line shout-outs this week. But I have five names, um, four of which are a legitimate Gabe, and then one of which is, like, kind of a Gabe. Did you say Dylan Gabriel? I did. <laughs> I put Dylan Gabriel on the list. So we will be tracking Dylan Gabriel all year long. Um, Nebraska running back Gabe Irvin Jr. Uh, contributed to a 52-7 to win over Fordham. Fighting with, Mike Breens. With six carries for 17 yards. So, shout out for a 2.8 yards per carry mark. Against Fordham. Um, Stanford linebacker Gabe Reed had two tackles, one solo, one assisted, in a 24-7 loss to Kansas State. Shout out. Good for Gabe. Uh, freshman defensive back for Rice, Gabe Taylor. Lost to Arkansas 38-17, but he had two tackles. Just KJ like, Jefferson looks like a guy. By yeah, the way. that was that was impressive. This is just gonna be a way for you to talk about other games. I'm yeah. just gonna recap the game in which the guy was involved, say their stats, and you're gonna yeah. shout him sure. shout him out. Um UCF junior quarterback Dylan Gabriel, he will be getting featured in this. Shut up. 36-31 win over Boise State, 318 yards passing, four touchdowns. Yo, we gotta clean up the two picks. Um very good. Best game of Thursday night. It Can was better you imagine than Ohio if, State, like, Minnesota. Broadcasters just like, here's Dylan Gabe <laughs> instead of Gabriel, just yeah. to shorten it. Well, my given name is Gabriel, so that's why I felt like it was it was fair. Um, and then I'm gonna is go. Lenyon Gabriel Gabe. Yeah, he he qualifies as well. Okay, cool. Um, and then Gabe of the Week award goes to Big Twelve Special Teams Player of the Week. Yep. Gabe Burkich helped. Bucket. Absolutely needed 40 to 35 win over Tulane, and he tied the NCAA record with three 50 yard field goals in one game. He had a make from 51, 56, and 55. 56 yarder would have been good from like 62. They were bombs. Yeah. Bombs. That guy's going to play on Sunday. Yeah. And he said that uh, he did his, he did media, I think today, and said it all comes from a mini mullet and a stash. And just go, go look him up. Um, or I'll show you after this after the show. Um, so that's Gabe, Gabe on that's Gabe on Gabe's. We might continue updating it depending on if anybody stands out. Um, we may drop Dylan Gabriel by association if things go poorly, but 
I agree. He's not locked in. Everybody else, if your first name is given as Gabe, you're in. Um, if your last name is Gabriel or Gabe, which there's literally no Gabe's um, last names, but we might we might keep you in. So stay tuned for the weeks coming. Uh, before we go to scholarships and sanctions, game picks records. I went seven and three. You went three and seven. You don't tune in all. Wednesday night on Blaze Radio, eight p.m. Pacific. That's ten Central, eleven Eastern for anybody back home uh we will have that'll be more of a preview show during normal weeks and then uh sunday nights when we don't have labor day and we don't have labor day night games sunday nights will be um reactionary pods for the week usually we'll probably get going post sunday night football is my thought Mm -hmm. so that um scholarships and sanctions and then we'll go scholarship to ucla football for changing their Twitter header to a picture of a Jordan shirt that said Sissy Blue on not it. Not anymore, though. It's not anymore. I really hope they sell the Sissy Blue t-shirt, though, because I will buy that. You would? Yeah, because it's not overtly UCLA, so it's not an in-conference like rival. But it's really cool, and it commemorates a cool college football moment. It's a, like con- a Catholics versus Convicts type thing. I'll take that. Maybe not in not the same, in the same stature, <laughs> but it's cool. I feel like it'll be a deep cut in like five years. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Like remember that night in Pasadena. And the shirt's cool. Putting yeah, the, the UCLA good. U and the uh, kind of like the Loki, like mismatch text. Someone will uh, absolutely make those shirts. Even I just hope it's, it's Jordan Brand. Even if it's not UCLA, if it is Jordan Brand, it'll be even nicer. Uh, scholarship goes to tradition. Um, we had Enter Sandman was back. We yes. had Jump Around was back. We had Kansas Kansas rushing the field after oh beating an God. FCS team. <laughs> Just the traditions that really bring college football together. <laughs> this is the mortar. Uh, um, it was awesome. Am I missing out on anything else? We didn't have Neck was not playing because LSU wasn't playing well enough. <laughs> um, Although that was pretty much an LSU home game. Like it was no, it was it was fifty fifty. No, it wasn't. It According was, to people who were there, no, it wasn't. Really? Yeah. Who do you know who's there? Um, I'm blanking on his name. He's a writer at SI. Covers oh, Ross Dellinger? Yeah. Said it was 70% LSU. It sounded like a UCLA. Really it's a big sad. stadium. I mean, that's still 30,000. It felt very Rose Bowl-esque, though. Yes, it did. Because both teams were making plays and both crowds were into it. Um, so that was really good. Scholarship to the people who decided that Tulane and Oklahoma and Ole Miss and Louisville would be color-on-color uniform matchups because, my God, Specifically, this game between Tulane and Louisville—I mean Louisville and Ole Miss—was <laughs> perfection. Like it was, that's a perfect uniform matchup. Blue versus red looks awesome, especially when the red is an amazing red uniform and Ole Miss is wearing the best blue uniform in existence. Whoa, that's a take. That's a take. But uh, that's why we love UCLA USC because blue versus red looks awesome. It does. And also, like, that was a great uniform matchup. As much as we've talked about UCLA-LSU, that was a great uniform Nike matchup. Nike is the best provider. Um, my sanction goes to injuries. It just sucks that we've already lost Christopher Allen, Ronnie Bell, Muhammad Ibrahim. Uh, Muhammad Ibrahim, sir? He left in the fourth quarter, and he's out for the season. With Didn't a foot see injury. that. So, uh, and Kayvon Thibodeau might not play. For Oregon against I think you Ohio will. State. I think we'll see too much on the line for him draft stock wise to not. 
We'll see. Unless he really is hurt. Maybe we'll have an update Wednesday night. But we'll see. Um, I don't want to end on a negative note, though. So let me... Scholarship to Lane Kiffin for just being Lane Kiffin. Yeah, it was... It was good to have him back. I'm a little on worried about him. Why? He's lost a bunch of weight, and I'm worried the Joey Freshwater activity will be reignited. <laughs> now he's feeling himself again. Um. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> on that note, this was Heat Check. We'll see you guys in one sec. Heat Check is that time. Sunday or Monday, you know that we flex. True. You can never make it more obvious. You checking for the heat, that's cold. That's cold, that's cold. Headed to the top of the top of this. You can never reach these hoes. in the booth and we spin the truth. Aye. We inspire the youth and we get to the loop. You do what it does and we do what it do. We turn to the max and they got you on mute. You. Ooh, flow so high so you know Aye. I had to run it back. Blazes the ball and we running like a running back. Gabe, I try so you know Aye. we having fun with that. Turn you in the off so you know Aye. we ain't no coming back. Now we done with that.